0: This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is July 8th, 2022. I'm Jen Murphy-Packer, and I'm here today with Barry Lane. Welcome, Barry.
1: Thanks, Jen. How is the radio station these days?
0: Well, I'm actually not sure myself, because uh, it's been quite a long time since I've, you know, since I've, I've worked there. I was a uh, class of 1995.
1: Oh, but for- you child you. Okay.
0: <laughs> but from what I hear, things are, are going extremely, extremely well. And, That's you know, a lot of success and a lot of success for the for the students and, and the graduates as well.
1: That's what it sounds um, like. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So uh, we like to kick it off with, can you just kind of state your name and the years that you were at Hofstra Radio?
1: Uh, my name is Barry Lane, and I was there from... I guess, 79 to 82, with a little overlap to um, 83.
0: Okay. And what uh, shows or programs did you you do at the station?
1: Shorter list is what I didn't do. I mean, back in those days, it was, geez, I'm doing classical today. And then tonight I'll do kind of folk. And then at 10 p.m. I'll do the Post-Punk Progressive Pop Party. Right. So um, there there was no single show I did, although I was probably most closely associated with uh, the Post-Punk Progressive pop Pop Party, which is so funny. Because every episode that I've heard of this with people that I overlapped with, that's what they seem to think they're best known for. So, my guess is I'm not best known for anything if they're all best known for that, so i don't know
0: did you did you have a favorite show that you did was it was it p five
1: p five was unlimited fun um both on the air in the studio where guests would stop by and at clubs where we had some you know extraordinary credibility which meant, you know, no cover charges and no ticket charges and introduce the band tonight for us and all those things. And then combine that with other media at the station, uh, Hofstra TV, uh, The Chronicle, um, and kind of ring them all together. And, and it was really a three-ring circus, which is the way I love my life.
0: Now, what uh, did you have any titles or positions at the station?
1: I don't remember. Um, Chief Clown probably. My guess is I think I was the news director one year and we did very little news that year, so that would make sense. Um, I did a documentary in 82 or 83 about uh, Vietnam vets from Long Island coming home Um, and we brought in the head of the Vietnam Vets of America who actually is a Long Island native oh wow um, and that that was really cool. That was a lot of work um but really cool um I'm trying to remember I guess it was Steve Spencer um who helped me on that, and he was invaluable um but yeah, we did that, and we got some attention and the plane and isn't that why we do everything uh, yeah, the Same well, reason you know the same reason we played software uh softball uh with w l i r every year uh, for attention and acclaim, certainly not for wins or losses.
0: Sure. Now that documentary sounds really amazing and, and very interesting. Did it run as a series or was it, was it a, a series of episodes?
1: It was a ninety minute doc. Okay. That aired in 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 full um on the station. Vietnam Veterans Ten Years Later, how's it going? Or something silly title like that, Um, but I really loved doing it. Uh, Long-form journalism was um, a passion of mine, still is to some degree. And um, um, so I loved doing that. Um, Really did enjoy the radio and uh, the radio stuff I did uh, from a sports perspective. Um, Todd Ant, Mike Harrison and I traveled the country with both teams. Um, in vans that would break down between Hempstead and Westchester, Pennsylvania on a regular basis. Uh, yep, those adi- good old
0: SGA vans, right?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. The ability, though, to go down to Philadelphia um, and watch the team play, against all of the power schools from Philadelphia at the Palestra, which was arguably one of the two or three greatest arenas in the country for uh, college basketball. Um, was amazing. Going on the road, uh, UCLA, Notre Dame, University of California, Santa Barbara, um, and far lesser places um, were just tremendously fun. Um, great relationships built. I mean, Todd and I are still great friends. Um, and um, I can even talk to Harrison from time to time, which is great. Um, but it is, um, it was something that I loved doing. Um, I loved doing the football games, um, both at home and on the road. And it made me feel part of the, it made me feel that the radio station was part of the fabric of the university. From what I understand today, it is far more intertwined than we were then. We were kind of those guys.
0: Yeah, same right? thing in the early 90s. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think now, though,
1: feeling. yeah, but now it feels, it, from everything I read in here, and, um, it feels more integrated into the fabric of the campus and the campus life, which I think would have been great. Um, but we made do.
0: Absolutely. Now, did you use your name on air, or did you have an on air nickname or anything like that?
1: It depends on what show and how I felt at the moment. Okay. Um, so, when I did Airwaves, I think I'm trying to remember the name I used. I mean, I listened to several of these episodes, and people have instant memories of 30, 40 years ago, and it makes me wonder if it's me or them. Um, but uh, Captain Midnight it was a silly name. Oh, I, I love use. it. Yeah, was a silly name I used. And then we had done a show again on Huffington Television, um, original artists, local, either on campus or, you know, Hempstead Town or, or Nassau County, Suffolk County, local baby bands. And we did original videos with them. And that character, Captain Midnight, was the host of that show. So I kept it alive for a couple of years doing that. But generally, I was just me.
0: Wow. I love that name, though, Captain Midnight. It's a great radio name.
1: It was. It was. I don't think it is anymore. I don't think that people, I mean, unless you're doing the morning zoo format, I don't think people do that anymore.
0: Right, right. Now, what first um, attracted you or brought you to the radio station?
1: I had started working in radio before I got to uh, Oh. Wow. Actually, I, I had worked in commercial radio first. It was change. Um I had worked in Rochester, New York, and then... Um, lasted exactly one winter I said, so this ain't for me. Um, so came back, uh, went to Hofstra, started up the radio station. I guess it was just simply one of my friends walking me in. And then I continued working in commercial radio. I think I was fired by every radio station in Manhattan. So that makes me like everybody else.
0: Sort of the 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 Hall of Fame.
1: <laughs> well, it's look. It's the industry. It's the way that industry works. Come here for thirteen weeks. We'll see if we'll keep you for another thirteen. Um, right. So you know, worked all over the place. I mean, Rossa. I guess her professional name is Rossa K. Um, you know, Rossa had been on air at the same time, and I think she's still on uh, Light FM. If if she's not working with Ross and so she was there for 25 years. So that she was the anomaly uh, of, of most everybody I know in radio.
0: Do you remember what it was like when you first got to the station? You know what the office looked like. Who was sure. there?
1: I remember the office. Yeah, upstairs. The office was upstairs. There were posters on. It was exactly what a college radio station was supposed to look like. Although there were way more windows. And in Memorial Jeff, Hall, right? Yes. Upstairs in Memorial Hall, uh, Jeff Cross's desk being in that power position where you couldn't walk in the door without being identified. Um, so there was no sneaking around up there. I mean, we found ways but to walk in the door. Um, if Jeff was in the building, he knew it. He knew you were there. So there was no way to walk in and not engage, which was as it turned out, was a great thing. Because, and I think everybody you've ever spoken to, or you guys doing the series have ever spoken to, no one's really had a negative thing to say about Jeff Grouse, and there's a reason. there was really nothing negative to say about Jeff. It was tough, Uh, that tough but fair thing is is crap, but um, Jeff was tough in that he had certain expectations of some professionalism, Um, If not professionalism, an attempt at it. Um, You know, we all had to have our uh, FCC licenses, even though none of us really knew what we were doing. Um, As long as the, you know, we were taking readings and as long as it didn't start smoking, we were okay. (laughs) Um, Everything was old and I liked it that way. Uh, The record library was in the announce room, which was separated by glass, by the mixing board um and i hated that and so i started doing. particularly p5 it was really very much a uh, a one-person show there wasn't right um we weren't separated and we didn't have an engineer and part of it was night and part of it was the nature of the program um and then when we had guests it was it was awesome you know whether it was uh folks from the uk making their first stops in the states Duran duran you know, the night before their first show, uh, Was Not Was out of Detroit, which was Don Was his band, and Don is probably uh, one of the five biggest and best producers in, in the music industry today, with his, uh, Dave Weiss, also known as Dave Was, but I mean, they had a band that was just extraordinary, you know, Sweetie said the whole Detroit group, uh, the Funkadelic, uh, the Parliament Funkadelic uh, group crew. It was extraordinary, and all of them came into the studio one night. and was just more fun than it should have been allowed. Um, so, yeah, there were a lot of things I remember about that place, about having guests in, having callers online. Um, we could do almost anything, as long as it was within certain set ground rules. You know, watch your language. Um, the seven-second delay was a very real thing at the time. Um, everything was analog. Um, and it was about the energy in the program, you know, what, what what the polka show was on the weekends was very different from airwaves. Um, yes, I guess today we'd call it classic rock, um, or folk rock, or might even have wandered into the realm of alternative, uh, like a momentum or something like that. On I'm um, right. spectrum on Sirius XM, um. And we were breaking music every day. Every day we were breaking music. Uh, Pix in New York and Manhattan, um, was kind of neck and neck with us in breaking artists. If they had a much larger signal, obviously. Um, and, and, or Pix FM. Um, and LIR was, you know, they were an outlier. Uh, for anybody to suggest that they created the format is just not true. Um, and I will stand by that. the format on Long Island was created by us at p five uh l i r picked it up frankly um, after it was picked up in l a by keira um, but yeah, there is no doubt that 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 was one of the great things about it you know we weren 't jocks, but we were influencing culture uh, yep. uh, within you know the the Five to 50 to 500 mile radius, depending on how the weather was at any given time. Um, And that was really fulfilling.
0: Did I hear you correctly that you interviewed Duran Duran the night before their first show in the U.S.?
1: Yes. And then that that night I did the first review ever of their show, which appeared in the Chronicle at four o'clock in the morning when I finished writing.
0: Wow. What... What was that like <laughs> to interview them? I mean, I can't even, like, wait, how old were they? And and what not was much,
1: their... <laughs> not much older than me. Um, <laughs> I mean, right? Um, um, they were not, you know, like, they were not the king of the hill by any stretch of imagination. Their tracks were extraordinary. They performed well. I thought they were going to be too reliant on technology um, but they weren't, it worked really well. Um, mm-hmm. and they were great. And, you know, I went to see the waitresses first performance and they were terrible live, Wow. but, but they had a single hit. So good for them. Um, yep. and you know, you spend time in clubs on Long Island at a time that Long Island had clubs, um, or at least that I know of, um, and you get to know people, you know, whether it was Malibu, which was, I guess, the preeminent club for live acts at the time. Um, I mean, my father's place and others existed, but they were not in our format. Right. They were more in the airwaves format. Right. Um, so, you know, it was good. It was nice to know I knew where the side door was at Malibu and I was welcomed through it. Um, And hang in with bands and whether it was truly was not was two nights in a row, once at Malibu with, I think, 12 people in the room and the night before at Max's Kansas City, where where it was standing room only. Um, Those were great days. Those are days I look back on now and go, oh, you're talking to a guy who ran a company called National Lampoon. So if I'm telling you those were some of the most fun days of my life, those were some fun days.
0: Right, right now can you take me through what the training classes were like if you remember um... No, either (laughs) i didn't
1: stay or i slept through them Uh, okay Walczewski and krauss were never happy with me um couldn't pronounce enunciation was always a problem i took a very casual approach to what i was doing on air the same way i wrote in fact when I was in graduate school, I was a teaching fellow up at Fordham. Um, I had a professor come to me and said, would you stop writing so conversationally? And I said, thank you very much. That's high praise from you. And <laughs> um, I had to learn how to write academically. And I never learned how to speak academically, if you will, in that uh, very short burst, enunciating and I know how, but um, I never had that really deep voice. Well, Chesky could put it on. Jeff Foss, they rest in peace, had it naturally, but didn't have some of the other skills. Um, and we were always so surprised and disappointed that he didn't break through when LIR came out, came, came to our format, that they didn't come knocking yeah. for him. Um, he was yeah. older than most of us. Um, for some reason, he really drove post-punk progressive pop party to an early hip-hop format. Um, right, and that's it put, what it
0: was when I when I was there in the 90s. Yep. Yeah,
1: it was an early hip-hop format and we were a crossover. I mean, literally a crossover. Um, whether it was Grandmaster Flash followed by uh, Defunct, go so look that band up, um, or The Stray Cats, or... I don't know Nick Lowe or Dave Edmonds or you know all of these guys. They never had a commercial home before we existed. And of course, we weren't commercial, but at least we were considered New York. And I wasn't right. ever going to let them take that away from us.
0: Wow. Uh, do you remember your first time behind the board, or or and or on air live, <sighs> and what that was like?
1: I remember the first time at the board, because I remember the first time taking readings and being absolutely convinced that I had no idea what I was doing. And I was just writing down with whoever was there before me. Don't tell anybody. The FCC may be listening. Um, (laughs) I had no idea.
0: I think the the statute of limitations is probably (laughs) (laughs) passed on.
1: But we all had to be licensed. And and again, Kraus 101. You can't enter that room if you don't have a license. That's right. Um, So all of that was great. Do I remember any classes? I remember Wolchowski's class, kind of, sort of. But again, I wasn't the class guy. Not that I don't have class, please. But I wasn't the classroom guy. And um, I wasn't the traditional guy. I spoke as comfortably as I could and told stories that went on, as you can tell, for minute after minute after minute, which is kind of breaking format everywhere in the world, um, unless, of course, you're in a talk station. Um, right, but, or college
0: radio. Or college radio.
1: And I told stories and made up stories. And, you know, it was story time at two o'clock in the morning um, or two o'clock in the afternoon whenever I got myself near a microphone and never shut up.
0: Do you remember, Do you, speaking of, of, of speaking and, and not shutting up, do you remember your first time announcing, the first time that you were actually behind the mic? Behind the mic live. at
1: the radio station live? Yeah. Would have been with a board up, breathing continuity probably between classical tracks, and I knew nothing about classical music. Once we got to Bolero, I was alphabetically out of my league. Um, (laughs) But um, it was great fun to learn, and learn I did, I had to. Um, And try not to play the same songs in the same order every week. Um, But uh, that was my first time on air. I do remember that. I think that was Jeff's way of testing me. And I think his way of punishing me
0: yeah i think a lot of us kind of earned our chops uh, <laughs> on the classical show and you know some of those pronunciations <laughs> to this day i i probably couldn't do if you put them in front of me right
1: absolutely right and you know wagner wagner uh, who knows <laughs> everybody who knows is dead so make it up however you know however way you'd like and you know contemporary classical was interesting it was how do I move Herbie Hancock into the classical time slot? Because he was about as close to American classical as you can get. That is on one of his albums. Right. And how do you justify that? And then I did the jazz show and Hey, Herbie Hancock showed up again. And (laughs) um, you know, there was just, there, there were staples, you know, um, Gil Scott Heron. I couldn't get enough of Gil Scott Heron. I literally played him, I think, in every time period other than classical. I played him on Airwaves, I played him on on, on the P5. Um, uh, you know, he, he was a legend, He that was where hip hop started. Forget the Sugar Hill Gang and, and, and Grandmaster Flash and Melly Mel, all of those guys who became buds, I mean, uh, Kid Creole and the Coconuts. Great, great band that nobody will talk about today. Was Not Was was the same thing. Um, so, yeah, I'd I, I, I love the hell out of it.
0: Do you remember who may have been when you first arrived? I know you mentioned a couple of names um, mm-hmm. when you first you know came to the station. Do you remember who kind of either took you under their wing or was helpful or, you know, kind of showed you the ropes in the, in the early days?
1: Um, the first person to show me anything was Scott Cinnamon, who showed me where the restroom was. <laughs> Very, um, it's, that's important. It is, trust me, trust me. And that was both upstairs and downstairs. Um, Jeffrey was never warm and fuzzy, but always accommodating and always an ear and, 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 and advice that, you know, people don't talk about that. About him that way, they, they make, and we all do it, right? You make fun about his affectations, but as a human being, he was, you know, second to none. Um, but I remember Cinnamon really welcoming me. I remember Suzi's welcoming me. Um, Sean McGowan uh, welcoming me. Chris uh, Store. Well, uh, Chabyski never said hello. I wonder why. Uh, Rasa and I became very close. Uh, Todd Ant and I remain very friendly. Um, I think it's the longest relationship. I and mean, then there used to be a guy on the air, um, whose on-air name varied from Jimmy Dredd to Jimmy, Jimmy Boo. Um, and I won't mention his last name just because, um, because he passed away a couple of years ago of cancer and just out of privacy, but he was a friend forever, like from day three. He was the guy who hooked me up with Goldsmith and with Curto for P5. I mean, when we were having the original meetings talking about who was on Playlist, who was not, what the format was in planning the shows. That's, I mean, when I talk about that, was, you know, that, I was really proud to be part of that from the beginning. I mean the beginning. Um, wow. Was, so
0: you were there at the inception of P5. I, didn't, I remember I didn't...
1: walking the library with Goldsmith, but Goldsmith, who I'm sure you haven't spoken to, um, and Sal Leperto, who went on to a famous career at WNYC, no, at NYU's radio station, sorry, um, and then spent 20-something years at MTV and VH1, and now is the head of programming for, was the head of programming for uh, Southern California Public Radio, all of it, and I think he just took a new gig. Uh, but he's been a radio guy his whole life. And uh, there were some other people who were never on air who belonged there. I mean, Rod Houston, um, who's in like the voiceover Hall of Fame, never did an airship as far as I know. I met him wow. on the TV side.
0: But you, you and these other folks really started P5.
1: I would never say I did. I would say it was Goldsmith, it was Locurto, it was then Jimmy and me in that order. we would never right, start but it was during, it was during that your during tenure, time. Right. Yes, absolutely.
0: Right. Wow. Wow, that's that's amazing. And it's 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 survived all this all this time.
1: Well, as long as the spirit it continues, it will continue. Right? Post Punk Progressive Pop Party became much more than that. It defined an era, it was that transition. Well, you know what also defined that transition was um, the Vans Warped Tour. The Vans Warped Tour was that bridge for 25 years from, pump, from punk to rock with some stuff. And it went punk, rock, pop, right? A bunch of their rock artists became pop stars. Green Day. Right. I will never accept Green Day as a punk band. You're playing 20,000 seat arenas, you're not a punk band. I still said the same thing about you, too. At a certain point, you have to accept that you've broken through. Right? right. John McEnroe is right. mainstream, whether he thought he was a bad boy or not.
0: Right, that's
1: um, So I look at, you know, I look at uh, uh, bands from that era, and then I look at what's comparable. And now, We've had longer P5 at a longer run than um, um, the band's warp tour, but the band's warp tour broke every band you could think of.
0: Now, do you recall when you felt comfortable at the station and and being on air and kind of you know? It sounds like it might have been right at the beginning because it sounds like there are a few people who were extremely made you feel at home um, right out of the gate. But do you know when you felt comfortable? behind the microphone, at the board. Um, Never comfortable also... at
1: the board. Never comfortable okay. at the board. Okay. Um. Com- somewhat comfortable at the microphone, because, again, I had done it before I got there, and also, as you can tell, I won't shut up. Um, And comfortable with the organization, which I think was really, really important for me. I spent more time in media at Hofstra than I did in classrooms, right? So... I played a role at the television station. We actually created an SNL type sketch comedy show way before these guys ever thought of doing it. Uh, Back in 1980 or 81, we did a TV series called Be Serious, which had, you know, our version of uh, the news instead of, you know, SNL news. It was BS news. Um, And Madness (laughs) was our theme song and 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 one step beyond came from p5 and that's how i brought it to the the tv station so there was a lot of that cross-pollinization but i think that it was the fact that you know i wrote for the chronicle i was one of the founding editors of the satellite which was the alternative weekly um i had the radio station i had the tv station um that was by college existence, classes? Yeah, sure, once in a while. But for the most part, it was this was my family, these were my friends, um, in 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 that building in Memorial, um, more than anything else on campus.
0: Same, yeah, same here. I spent more time in Memorial Hall than I think in in classes or my dorm room. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, truly, right? If you think about it, our parents are not happy hearing these stories, <laughs> and I even I haven't even begun talking about drug use on, on air. Oh, well, I'm sorry, I didn't say that.
0: <laughs> yeah, we, maybe maybe we'll skip over that part. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds like you know, and and this you know we've we've heard this from many many people that we've talked to who were part of of the radio station and, and, and culture that it was the people and, you know, and, and, you know, I'd rather hear it from you than me put words in your mouth, but the, the community that was there um, made you feel very comfortable. And then that became your sort of second home, which is, which is a common, common
1: theme. Well, yes. Because somewhere around, somewhere after that, not long, within 10 years, It was a television series called Freaks and Geeks. I love it. I wish it had had
0: more than one season. Yeah, it's too bad that it was only one season. Yep.
1: But we were them. That was us. Yeah. We were the freaks, we were the geeks. They were the theater geeks, we were not. We were the radio geeks for sure. We were the TV guys. It was very insular. As again, Every everything was siloed at the time, and I hope that they've broken down those silos.
0: I I would hope so as well. I th- I think so. Um, I think like you said, I think it's it's a you know more of a part of the fabric of the university today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yes, I think there are things they're doing that they've done that were dynamic. I mean, what Ed brought to the table, Ingles, um, both professionally and as a human being, and as a trainer um was nothing short of astonishing um but these are you know these were guys i worked with so i knew them, and um it was yeah it was it was we were that oddball family and so if you didn't fit in you fit in you found a place there for you
0: that's right now when you first arrived what what did you think the station would kind of mean to you or be for you? And, and then what did it, was, did that either come true or what did it really turn out to be?
1: I got there, I, it, it was just a thing, if that makes any sense. It was an amorphous kind of this is cool and I love radio and I was a passionate radio listener, not so much of music but of formats. I was a passionate consumer of radio, and I had worked in commercial radio. So to me, it was a room with a microphone and some technology behind it. Um, When I got there, and that's all it was, and by the time I left, it was really, you know, one of two or three things that defined my time on that campus. I think doing sports helped break down some of the silos, not that we did, but sports the sports group and news to a lesser degree, but certainly sports, um, pushed the radio station further into other buildings on campus. Yeah. Whether, whether it was a gym or a bus or a road trip, you started getting to know people. there was a guy who played on the basketball team when I was when I was there, who I played against when he was in Long Beach. Um, and we became great friends in our time in Hofstra. It had nothing to do with radio, but if it weren't for radio, we wouldn't have connected as friends.
0: Right, right. That makes sense.
1: So, I mean, I, I hope that answered your question. When I, by the time I left, it really was an organic part of who I was, uh, at least on the campus. There were people I learned, I told my father I was doing this thing. He was 93 years old in Delray Beach. And he started telling a story about how I went to visit my sister at her college up outside Boston. And I came back and I referred to it as a camp on air. Uh, and how the tennis courts were great and the swimming pools were great and the bungalows looked awesome. And it was a university I was talking about. <laughs> but so to me, it was, my life was on the air. I never believed in that filter. You know, I, I always believed if you were authentic, the listener would know. I agree, and I think that was my more. I think that was my most authentic place.
0: Well, Barry, this has been so great chatting about your time at the station, and uh, especially, you know, these interviews have covered everyone's kind of early tenure there. Um, I'd love if we could keep the conversation going at another time and, and cover maybe. Your your later years at the station, I I appreciate your sharing your stories so much. I'm 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 gonna go listen to Duran Duran after we, <laughs> after we're done, um, because I you know that that story really kind of blew my mind, and and all the other you know I, I took a lot of notes of, of all the other bands that you mentioned, so I will definitely check them out. But but thank you so much, and and hopefully we can speak again soon.
1: Sure, would love to, and I will say if you don't mind, I, the one thing I would like to add is. If of it weren't if it weren't for that radio station, truly, if it weren't for that radio station, my career, which took some very odd turns from programming wmCA when it became a talk station while everybody else was thinking about it, to going to l a and making movies, and running National Lampoon uh, and creating a twenty four seven comedy network for Sirius XM with Lampoon. Um, it all started there. It all started there. My capabilities, the lack of capabilities that became obvious. Um, the, my ability to ask questions, you know, the ability to learn that I don't know what I don't know started then. And now I know what I don't know and doesn't help much more. But if it wasn't for that ignorance, which came, became confidence and then overconfidence, um, it never would have happened anywhere else. So I do want to say that whether it was day one or year four, it didn't matter. It it happened there and it enabled me to do whatever else I did in my life.
0: I feel the same way. And I, I know that there are many of, of us among the alumni that that feel the same way. So thank you for sharing that.
1: My pleasure. I, it's true. I, I don't think about it enough or I think about it too much. It's the same. Um, but yeah, so I appreciate you asking the questions. I, I don't think about this. We certainly don't talk about those days very often because, you know, first of all, there's nobody left alive our age. And also, um, who wants to hear my old college stories? You do. Well, I think you'd be
0: surprised. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I do. And I think, you know, our fellow colleagues and 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 some of the younger folks and you know from all different time periods you know we've we've heard from many many people who've come through the station and you know it's amazing some of the you hear a lot of different things and you learn something new each time and and then you hear a lot of amazing similar things um you know so i think it's it's a really great family and and there are plenty of folks that want to hear your your stories so Well, Thanks so much for sharing.
1: My pleasure. I'm not sure you're right about that last part, but okay. And I think that it's really great. I'm willing to bet that every one of these conversations you're having with people, because I don't really consider them interviews. So congratulations to you about that. Um, But all of the, I guarantee all of these conversations have JCK smack dab in the middle of everybody's lives. Absolutely. And I don't know anybody else. I truly can't think of anybody else who impacted so many people that I know or knew and really had that kind of impact on people. It's very rare. And and he wasn't an educator, but he was an educator. Very well put. Thanks so much. If you need more, just ask. Okay. I'll make stuff I'm, up. It'll be fun. I'm sure we will.
0: Okay. Take care. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.